Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. The great architect, a fellow by the name of Frank Lloyd Wright, was given a challenge. He was asked um, to build, basically, this challenge was building uh, the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. Well, Wright's investigation showed that a solid foundation could be, quote-unquote, floated. About 60-foot layer of soft mud underlined the hotel, which would provide a shock-absorbing but solid support for the immense building. Shortly after the hotel was completed, it withstood the worst earthquake in 52 years, while lesser buildings fell in ruins all around it. You see, Frank Lloyd Wright knew something about foundations. And understanding how it all went, he said, listen, I, I think I need to investigate this a little bit. And he really grasped this. And, and one of the largest hotel, one of the largest earthquakes, I mean, that, that, that the city ever um, experienced, that hotel withstood that earthquake. See, tonight I was thinking about that and, and I was thinking about the building of the foundation. The thinking about it, the, even, even just this illustration of, of the floating of the 60-foot layer of soft mud underlying the hotel. I was thinking about our foundation, and I started to think about the book of Ezra. And you've got to remember, guys, that the temple is now finished. The foundation of the temple is finished. The temple itself is laid and built. But God still wants to do something. He still wants to continue to build the foundation in our hearts. Now, in order to understand the book of Ezra, we have to do some work. We have to really get in it because, again, remember, this is stuff that's going way, way, way back. And you go, okay, well, like what? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the book of Ezra in the Old Testament is an amazing story of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the temple of the living God, okay? Solomon's temple was amazing. It's destroyed. They build another one. Guys, the temple is nice. Herod is going to come along, and he's going to make it so beautiful. But in 70 AD, Titus Aspasian comes in, and he wipes that temple out. Today, there is no temple in Jerusalem, although there is a spot there that could potentially hold a third temple. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, you can go into the Temple Institute, and they'll have everything you need, and they're ready for the rebuilding of the temple. But as of today, all they have is the Dome of the Rock. There's no temple there, but there are what we call... Um, there, there's Jewish people now there who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. They think that, hey, we haven't sacrificed anything in, in, in 2,000 years. We need to get back to sacrificing. So in order to sacrifice, we need a new temple, okay? But there's not one yet. Well, here in the book of Ezra, we see, guys, that the temple is finished. And we see in chapters 1 through 6, we discovered as we went through it that the Jewish people actually went back from captivity to rebuild that temple. They wanted to worship. If you recall, the temple was destroyed. How? This temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And under the decree of Cyrus, many came back to rebuild the temple, the foundation, and to repair the walls. Now, here's what I want you to catch, okay? The temple isn't and wasn't the only thing needed that needed attention. You see, many of the returning Hebrews, many of the returning Jews had hard hearts. They had completely forgotten about God's law. And to make matters worse, they were disregarding those laws in front of other people. And so God was about to do a work in the hearts of the people. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. Last week, we discover that the temple, yes, actually finished. It took 20 years after the foundation was laid. Just after four years after the rebuilding began, why? Because the prophet Haggai and Zechariah came back and said, guys, come on, let's do this. What are you doing? There was what? There was a 16-year break, but the hearts of the people, listen, they were still far from God. 
the hearts are. Listen to me. The foundation was laid. The temple was up. But that's, that, that was the biggest problem. Their hearts are far from God. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in quoting Isaiah, said this. Jot this down. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus says, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. He says that. He says, listen, although your temple is built, although the foundation is laid, here's what I have a problem with. I have a problem with your heart. You're coming and you're going, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And you're singing it with your lips. But Jesus says, but I peer deep into your heart and your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. He says, he says, listen, you're honoring me with your lips. But your heart is far from me. You see, this, listen, guys, this was happening in the hearts of the people. And I can't help but think how we can reel that in into our day and age and how many people give God lip service, but their hearts are far from them. How many God, How many people raise their hand in worship? And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about all the body of Christ. How many people lift up their hands in worship, but in their minds, they might be thinking of the deal that they got to make tomorrow. They might be thinking where they're going to eat tomorrow, and, and they're in worship. And, and, and again, it's a simple, hey, I'm not really even here. I'm not connecting with God. You see, we've missed it. Why? Because we've been doing church so long that sometimes we come in and we go, yeah, we're just going to the, Josh is going to get up there. He's going to say, a song and okay and and we boom church it's done church over and we missed it and we're missing we're missing that the the holy spirit falling and and speaking to our hearts We're, we're we're just missing it and i think the people had that same idea okay yes we're excited about building it let's build the temple but god had to do a work in their hearts see the temple guys, was completed, but for 16 years, they had left the work. They began to build their own houses. Yes, house, right. How does that happen? Tell me how that, when you feel called to go back and build the temple, when you feel go back, listen, we got to build the wall. We got to build the foundation. We're going to worship. We're going to dedicate it. We're going we're gonna to do the feast of Passover. It's going to be amazing. Ah, uh, so much trouble. Um, you know, there's so much things going on. Listen, I'll tell you what, we'll get, we'll come back to this. Let's take care of me. Let's take care. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about? Let's take care of me, and I'm going to go build my house. And it wasn't until the prophets go, guys, what are you doing? Look at, listen, you're building your house. He says, consider your ways. Consider your way. Guys, come on. I thought you wanted to get back to worship. I thought you wanted to get back to worship. The prophet Haggai comes, and he rebukes them. Consider your ways. And I started thinking about this, guys, and I thought, well, for the sake of application, Let's break down what's happening inside the heart of these folks. What's going on? First of all, we know, if you have a pencil handy, you can jot this down. They had a hard heart. They had a hard heart. They had a hard heart. Okay? They're doing the work. They did the work. The temple is completed. Everybody goes, amen. But they had a hard heart. Now, I started to think about, you know, by way of application, how does this happen? How does a person get a hard heart? How does a person get a hard heart to the things of God? Now, now again, look at me, please. There are times when we worship, but it's just lip service because we have a hard heart. You go, well, how does that happen? Well, a lot of times it happens. If you think about it, guys, I was just trying to jot this down. I say, how does this happen? It happens when our ideals, everybody know what ideals are. This is where I should be. This is what I should be going on, our ideals. Or if we misunderstand who God is, not based upon his word, but based upon what other people tell us, when we have our ideals messed up, or we misunderstand God, listen to me, then a lot of times we can develop a hard heart. I believe that back here, I want you to think about this with me, okay? Put on your thinking caps. Many people thought that God probably would not allow them to be conquered, right? We're Israel. We're Jewish. We are the seeds of Abraham. And they were even singing the song, Father Abraham. No, they probably didn't know that song. But you get the point, right? They were, and, 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 and see, Jeremiah's coming, and, and for 40 years, Jeremiah's going, guys, we're going to be conquered. Guys, repent. You're worshiping idols. No, we're not. We're Jews. No, you're worshiping. You're worshiping the God of Baal. You're worshiping the God of the Astaroth. Come on, guys, you're doing it. And not only that, but you're disobeying his word. What do you mean we're disobeying the word? We're Jews. God's not going to do anything. He loves us. 
And Jeremiah is going, mm-mm. And Babylon comes in, and the unthinkable happens. They get conquered. They get, they get what? Taken, right? 900 miles away from home. They're shaking their head going, this should never happen. Our God is the God of love. Our God would never do this. There's no way. Oh, God, we're Jewish people. And I bet, now listen to me. Here's my theory. I bet because that happened and they misunderstood what Jeremiah was saying and they misunderstood who God is and they misunderstood that you cannot worship idols and you worship God at the same time and that you cannot disobey the word of the Lord without consequences because they misunderstood that they misunderstood God and guess what happened? They got a hard heart towards God. You made us move. You made us go to to Babylon. How can you? And it sounds like maybe there was, what, a remnant of hardness in the heart, even those that had come back to Jerusalem. A hard heart. A hard heart. And I think, guys, the same thing happens today, don't you? Why? We have to guard our hearts from getting hard. See, many people have been seemingly, look at the quotes, hurt by God. They feel like they've been hurt by God, right? How? Maybe a misunderstanding. There's a lot of times, guys, where we're taught one thing, God is love, and God would never allow this to happen. And in the frailty of life, you've prayed, God, please, please, if there's anything, don't let this happen. It happens anyway. And now you're going, I can't believe a God with love would do that. Boom, heart's starting to get hard. Heart's starting to get a little hard. God would, I don't know. And you take the next step and, and... and maybe you, you're praying for a loved one. God, this is my, and you could just, you could underline it. This is my, my grandpa. This is my grandma. This is my husband. This is my wife. God, this is my child. Please don't do something, God. And then the next thing you go, I'm so sorry he passed. God. And we get a hard heart. Get a hard heart. And I think of little kids, guys, in our in our world who prayed for God's protection. Please, God, don't let that man hurt me. Please, God, don't let that man hurt me again. And you know what I'm talking about. And they've ended up hurt physically and also emotionally. Or they've actually had someone who claimed to be a Christian Someone who claimed to be a follower of God do awful things. And this, my friends, hardens the heart towards the things of God. Because we have a misunderstanding. Because we don't realize that we live in a fallen world. That we don't realize that God is with us and he will protect us, but he wants to grow us. And this life is not the end all of everything. We are are going to another life, a better life. Now, granted, when we're in the midst of the storm, it's no fun. And God, where are you? And Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But if we're really honest, there are times where we go, God, I feel forsaken. I feel like you're not even around. God, I can't hear you. And our hearts get a little harder. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I heard a quote that kind of chilled, kind of sent chills up my spine. Let me give it to you. It says this. If you live in the graveyard too long, you stop crying when someone dies. I was like, wow. And then I read this. It was a true story. Let me read this to you. It was about a pastor. It was a pastor in Ohio who asked a member of his church who was a surgeon, okay, if he could be at the operating room to watch this open heart surgery. The doctor permitted him to observe. The physician began the surgery, removed the woman's heart, repaired what was wrong, placed it back into her chest. As he massaged her heart to get going, it wouldn't beat. He tried to start using other procedures, but nothing worked. Nothing worked. In an act of desperation, the surgeon knelt down beside the patient and said, Mrs. Johnson, this is your surgeon. The operation went perfectly and your heart has been repaired, but you need to tell your heart to beat again. When he finished saying those words, immediately her heart began beating. Even though the surgeon did everything necessary to repair the heart, the patient needed to cooperate with him. 
by an act of her will, she had to start her own heart beating. This story inspired singer Randy Phillips to write the song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. And then he goes on to say, maybe you've been rejected or you lost a loved one and your heart has stopped beating. Perhaps your spouse has betrayed you or your heart no longer beats. You've lost your hope and your will to live. Remember, God is a great physician who can repair your heart, but you have to tell your heart to beat again. You must tell your heart to love again. You must commend your heart to hope again. No matter what tragedy you've been through, you can live again. You can move forward with your life again. Just tell your heart to beat again. You see, a lot of times we think about that. Well, my heart is beating, but it's a hard heart. Now, listen, again, we have the misunderstanding of God. We have our misunderstanding of how our life should be ideally. And so now we have to get to the point with Jesus to say, okay, heart, it's time to beat again. It's time to beat again. And once your heart begins to beat in the presence of the Lord Jesus, then again, it begins to love and hope. And it begins to lo- and you begin to live once again. See, the people had a hard heart. What's the second thing? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. They've forgotten God's law. They've forgotten God's law. Go back in time with me for just a minute in your mind. God told the, the, the Israelites when they got captured by the Babylonians, remember what he told them? He said, guys, when you're, in it, when you're in Babylonian, go ahead and get comfortable. What? Yeah, remember, he said God told them to plant vineyards, right, and to build houses that they were going to be there. Help me, church, for how long? 70 years, right? So you, they, he, God says, guys, you're going to be here for 70. You're not going home. Now, they had some false prophets that said, nay, 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 nay. God said we're only going to be here two years. Don't build houses. Don't plant vineyards. They were false prophets. God said, you go, Pastor, what's your point? What's your point? Now, let's just say that Babylon, if you will, is a type of the world. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, you can say Babylon is a type of the world. We also know that this is divine judgment, right? Why were they in Babylon? Because they disobeyed God. There for 70 years, you guys know the story, idolatry. God just told them to live the gospel out in a foreign land. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about it, guys. They were supposed to go in a foreign land, in a place 900 miles away from home, and God says, I want you to go out, and I want you to, I want you to get involved in the community. I want you to build houses. I want you to be a part of it, but I want you to stay separate because I want them to see my glory in your life. Listen, I'm not asking you to be Babylonians. I'm saying, I want you to be Israel in a foreign land. You're going to be here for 70 years. Now, think about it. Is that not the gospel for you and I? You go, what do you mean? Well, that's the same thing that God does to us. Listen, if he didn't do that, when you said yes to Jesus, he would have said, okay, you're saved. Let's go home. And we would have been gone out of here. But what does he say? He says, okay, now you're saved. Now I want you to build houses, build vineyards, let people see my glory in you in this world. Let my people be different. Listen, he says, I'm not asking you to go in and be like the world. I'm not asking you to go and look like the world. I need you to be different. You are the church, Iglesia, the called out ones. You're different. You think different. You look different. You're Christians. You're Christ-like. But that's how people are going to get saved when they look at your life. When they see you. Oh, pastor, I don't want that responsibility. Listen, when I got saved, I just thought I was going to, I'll just be saved. But he's telling us, guys, he's telling us what happened in those 70 years. You know, what do you mean? Okay, so we're, they're building houses, they're planting vineyards. What happened in those 70 years? The thing that happens to a lot of Christians, and what's that? They probably assimilated into Babylonian culture, and they forgot the law of God. Hey, hey, it's time for Bible study. No, oh, we used to go to Bible study. Now we're, you know, and whatever the culture is, they're, they're, they're going. And see, not only do they have hard hearts, but they had forgotten God's law. We have to, guys, do a good job 
of not being swept into the culture of this world, but to, but to know and live God's word. It's so important. Well, I don't understand why I have to do that. Because there's people who will never read the Bible, but they will look at your life and see if what you say lines up. And I have begged you guys from this pulpit for years. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And there's going to be times that you do not line up with God's word. You do not say what God, you are, you are far from it. But you're working hard to, to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus that other people around you notice. Other people go, wow, you're different. You're different. You're different. What was the third thing? They had some hard hearts. They had some what? They had forgotten God's law. But you know what? They were also playing, if you're taking note, they were playing the hypocrite, weren't they? Why? Because they were, they were, they were living their life in front of all the other Israelites like there was no God, right? They were playing the hypocrite. They were disregarding the law in front of people, in front of people. And it reminds me of this story about hypocrisy. It said one blistering day when they had guests for dinner, Mother asked four-year-old Johnny to return thanks. But I don't know what to say, the boy complained. Oh, just say what you hear me say, Mama said. Obediently, the boy bowed his head and he mumbled, Oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over on a hot day like this? Right? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. See, the Jews were disregarding the law in front of the people. Listen to this story about hypocrisy from today in the Word, June 3rd, 1989. He made made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of Almighty and the Christian confessions in which we would become pillars of a new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic relationship. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew strength for his great work from the scores of pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. Indeed, Adolf Hitler was a master outward religiosity that had no inward reality. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I think that's a lot that that we have to contend with. There's a lot of times when we misunderstand God and we've got a hard heart. There's a lot of times we, um, what are we looking for? Where where we've forgotten God's word. We hadn't really obeyed it. And there are a lot of times where we play the hypocrite. And that's where the people are at this point. That's what's going on. And God wants to get and settle their hearts. Wants to settle his hearts. So what does he do? He says, guys, we're going to go back. We're going to go back and we're going to build, we're going to build a what? We're going to build a temple. We're going to build a foundation. It's been 70 years. But not only that, I want to build the foundation of your heart. Let me just say this to you, okay? Jot this down, please, because I think it's so important. People are more important than stuff. People are more important than, than, than buildings. People are more important than chairs. People are more important than the temple, right? And that's what God wants to do. He wants to get us to the place where he says, okay, listen, I love and I'll bless you, but what's more important is the depths of your heart. The depths of your heart. How is he going to accomplish this? A small remnant's going to come back, Right? If you recall, Ezra chapter 1, it tells us that Cyrus said, listen, go back. He issued a decree, setting the people free to go home. And Ezra chapter 2 tells us only 50,000 of the millions of Jews living in captivity. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I don't blame the little ones, and I don't blame the old folks if they're in Babylon. But out of millions, only 50,000 said, we'll go back. We'll go home. We'll go home. Church, listen to me. It scares me. It scares me, and it scares our pastors, guys, in this church, that, that there are a lot of people who will claim Christianity, but they won't get to heaven. You go, really? Isn't it in Matthew's gospel? 
there's a group of people who come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? Didn't we hand out bulletins? Lord, didn't we provide children's ministry? Didn't we? And Jesus is going to go, oh, he says, please depart from me. I never knew you. And that scares me because there's a group, probably a remnant of people who are going, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And their heart are so far from God. And Jesus is going, I don't know you, but I want to know you. And I want to work in your heart. So don't sit there with your hearts hardened. I understand life is throwing you for a loop. I understand that maybe you've forgotten my word. I understand that there are times that we play the hypocrite. But let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's get down to brass tacks. It's time for you to come home. I want to build the foundation of your heart. And this way, you're solid in the word. Chapter 3, we see that it describes the children of Israel. They're coming home. They're starting to build the altar. God, it's time to worship you again. In the second half of chapter 3, Ezra describes a remnant of people sitting, uh, basically starting to work. Amen. But then chapter 4 hits. And you go, what happens in chapter 4? Guys, remember, it was the assault in the process of the restoration. The enemy always comes in, and he will always bring opposition in your walks. And then in in Ezra chapter 5, the first two verses, God uses two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to bring the word of the Lord to the people. Why? Because for 16 years, guys, they had had stopped building. They had stopped building the temple. They began building their own paneled homes and taking care of themselves. So after a 16-year break in action, the people of the Lord are back rebuilding the house of the Lord. This time, it says in Ezra chapter 5-2, the prophets were helping them by holding them to the task. Well, finally, after 20 years, the foundation is done. The temple is completed. It's dedicated, right? Now, here's what you need to note. Between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there is a 58 to 60-year 60 60 year gap, okay? Very, very important. There's a large amount of gap, okay? And you go, well, what happened during those 58 to 60 years? Let's just call it 60. The book of Ezra, guys, was written during this time. I'm sorry, the book of Esther. We're in the book of Ezra. Between chapter 6 and chapter 7, guys, Esther was written. You guys remember. You guys remember the story there, right? Azarias, the Persian king who wanted to to display Queen Vashti in front of his friends. You guys remember he was drunk. He threw a party. And he said, you know what? My wife's she's a knockout. She is go- Vashti, come on out here. Come on, show us. Do a little dance. And, and Vashti's like, mm-mm. I'm not, you're, I'm not going to display myself. Well, he got so upset. Guess what he did? He divorced her. He said, you're being put out. Then realized what he did. Now he needs another queen. Well, this made an opportunity for Esther to become queen, but God had a different plan. Do you remember what he was going to do? He was going to save the Jews from annihilation, right? From a person by the name of Haman. You guys remember him, right? Haman was like, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. All this is going on in between these two chapters, okay? Now, even today, guys, even today in Israel, there's the feast called Purim. And it's a national holiday where the children, the little children still make what they call Haman's ears. We were there. Do you remember that? We were there for the feast of Purim. They make little cookies called Haman's ears. And they celebrate this because, again, here's what was going to happen. Haman wanted to annihilate all the Jewish people, but it wasn't until Esther approached the king. And what does she do? If you recall... She foiled the plan of Haman. And Haman was impaled upon a pole that he had built for Mordecai. This is all going on. This is all going on. Okay? Now, let me, this is just for my Bible students in here. Let me give you two schools of thought. Okay? The king Artaxerxes, okay? There's the king Artaxerxes and the king, uh, it's basically, it's, um, Ahasuerus, basically, Ahasuerus there in in the book of Esther, the first school of thought is this is the same person. There's people who say this is the same king, okay? 
he goes by Artaxerxes here, and then, and so you go, okay, well, that's pretty cool, because I know that Esther's going to mention Artaxerxes, he's, she, he, he, uh, sorry, Ezra is going to mention Artaxerxes and give him thanks. Another school of thought is, no, 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 that's, they, obviously not, um, basically who it is, it's, uh, it's basically, he's Artaxerxes um, Longamanus, and he's the successor to Xerxes, the king who married Esther. And you go, well, who is it? I don't know. But we know that it's either art, it's either or, so you, so you could, you could just, wherever you land, that's, that's kind of where you are, right? But, but we're kind of going, well, who is it? Well, let's just say, for the sake of our study, you can pick whoever you want, but let's just say it's Artaxerxes, okay? Not that there's anything that's going to come out of this, but we know that that could be the same king. So, 60 years go by, we come to chapter 7, and if you're taking note, I'm calling this message, Three Keys to Building the Foundation of Our Heart, right? Because that's exactly what God wants to do. Three keys. Now, here's why. For tonight, we learn and we lean on Pastor Ezra. He's called to come to Jerusalem and continue the work of the Lord, but he's not there to build the temple. What's he there for? He's there to build the hearts of God's people, build the hearts of God's people. And tonight, we're just going to cover the first 10 verses. Now, there are a lot of names in verses 1 to 5. I pray I don't butcher them, but if I do, please forgive me. Picking up our story in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Now, after these things in the reign of King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, and the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. You go, Pastor, what application can we get out of this? Well, if you're ever looking for a boy's name, there's a lot of names here that you can pick from, okay? I don't know how your son would like you if you named him Buki, okay? But just saying, just saying, right? And I don't know where, he, but you could name him a Ahitab and he'd be at the front of the line. You go, Pastor, you're, you're not serious. No, 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 I'm not serious. But let's, let's break it down just a little bit, okay? It says, now after these things, okay, after what things? Some 60 years of largely uneventful, if you will, past, right? Although, although the whole Jewish nation could have been annihilated. Anyway, so the rulers of the, of the Persia end of the period was Artaxerxes, who also was known in history as Artaxerxes Longamanus. The successor of Xerxes was, was this. It goes on to say he was the son of Sierra, the son of Azariah, the son of Aaron. Now, here's his point. The point is, is that Ezra wants to say, I am under the priestly line of Aaron, the high priest. I'm just kind of showing you. Now, he doesn't go into every single detail. You guys need to understand that. He doesn't, he doesn't go through every, every, it's not all inclusive. There are some generations left out. What he wants to just show us is where he originates from. So, Right off the bat, we go, okay, Aaron was a priest. We know that the priestly line came through Aaron. So obviously, we know that this is, you can help me out here. This is Pastor Ezra. That's who he is. He's a pastor. He's a priest. He's going to come in. Okay? So you got 50,000 people coming to rebuild the temple. Boom, boom, boom. Hammer, nail. Let's do this. Praise the Lord. Now you got Pastor Ezra coming going, okay, the temple's done. What about the temple of your heart? What about the foundation of your heart? So here's a quick question. Ready? Why is God so concerned with our hearts? Why is God so concerned that he would send a pastor to make sure that your heart is right, that it's the, the foundation of your heart is secure? Why? Because he knows what kind of people we are. He knows what kind of, and he loves us so much. And he knows there are times, guys, where we, if we allow life's events, if we allow life's experiences, we too can harden our own hearts and walk away from God. And so God, in his loving mercy, sends Pastor Ezra, Pastor Ezra. Notice what it says. It says, Ezra's heart was being prepared for service as the temple was being rebuilt. Ezra's heart, right? You go, what do you mean? Well, think about it. 
as the people were here building the temple, although it stopped for 16 years, a total of 20, God was preparing Ezra's heart so he could come back and minister to the people. And you go, Pastor, what's your point? Ready? Jot this down. God always prepares you today for your tomorrow. And sometimes you're in this, you're in this, let's call it a holding pattern. You're in a holding pattern. God, what do you want to do with my life? God, we don't know what to do. God, we don't hear from you. God, in ministry. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. He's got a plan for you. For Ezra, he might be going, Lord, what are, my people, what are we doing? He's like, patient, just be prepared because I'm going to use you in a big way. But you need to allow the preparation in your heart so that you can be used by God tomorrow. You have to allow the preparation. How does God prepare us? How does God, how does God, how does he begin to prepare? Well, we're going to see that there as well, but let me offer you my own little advice. I think first and foremost, we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he convicts us of sin because sin separates us from God. Hey, hey, you're not in a right relationship. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're still feeling conviction, praise God. It's when your heart gets hardened that you don't feel it anymore. That's the scary part. That's the scary part. You're... <sighs> hmm. I can't help, guys. I, I, I just I can't help but think of, of, of Adolf Hitler's Bible, a tatted Bible. I mean, he read the word. He said, I know God's word. Oh, he gives me such inspiration. And yet this was the man who, let your heart get hardened. So God prepares you today for your tomorrow. Now, here's what I love, guys. Here's what I love. And here's what I love about you, okay? God uses all kinds of people. You go, I'm not sure what you mean. Listen, there's a lot of people who go, Pastor, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a minister. I'm, but he's, he used the people to rebuild the temple, right? And then he's going to use Pastor Ezra to rebuild the hearts of the people. But here's what they do. Guys, listen, they work in conjunction together. They're not separate. Oh, you're a pastor. Ooh, we work together. You have laborers. And here's what I love about you. Listen, Brother Joe doesn't go, I feel like I'm called to be a pastor. I don't know why I don't get to speak up there. But you know what he does do? He gets out here and he makes sure that the parking lot is clean. And that's his service to the Lord. Do you see how it all works together? And, And every one of us is given a gift. And if we would just apply our gifts and our talents, could you imagine what we could get done? I understand that. I also understand the pastors, the leaders in this church are like Haggai and Zerubbabel. We're going to be alongside you. We're going to be alongside you working. I'll never forget. I'll never forget this as long as I live. We were building the the, the doors and the structure to, to keep the children's ministry. I'll never forget this. And uh, we were here and... Um, Randy was putting up the framing, and, and, and Josh and I worked so hard. i never seen Josh work so hard, and he was just, he was so tired. I mean, it was like all day, and we got the sheetrock. Me and Josh putting up sheetrock. And, and the point was, he, he said, listen, dude, hold on. I'm a worship leader. Hey, mm-mm. Ah, I got my voice, you know. It wasn't. He's like, this is for the boom, 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 boom. And there we are. We all work together. But, but the leader should be working alongside the workers. That's what he's talking about. Everyone doing their part. We go, Ben, 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 Ben. What about those that didn't come back? Well, think about this, guys. Maybe they were too young. I'm not going to take my I'm not going to take my six month old on, right? I'm not going to take my six month old on a 900 mile trip. Okay, I'm not going to do it. They'll go back. I'll go back later as they get older, right? Or I'm not going to take my really old grandpa, my really old grandma on the way. I'm not going to do it. They're old. They've been here, so we get that, right? So what could they do? Did you realize that they're doing part of the work? Why? Because they prayed. And they also supported the work. Listen, I can't go, but here you go. Here you go. 
Here you go. Everybody gets involved, guys. Think about this. I don't care how big a church we are. If we get involved and we have, and we have the mind of Christ to work, we can accomplish great things. We can accomplish great things. It was last year. I don't know if I've... No, I don't have enough time. Sorry. <sighs> Verse 6. And this Ezra came up from Babylon and was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. And the Lord God of Israel had given him. And the, cre- the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord upon him. So here's what we learned. He's coming up from Babylon, guys. He's a, he's a skilled scribe. Now, scribe sounds like a glorified secretary. Here's what you need to know. This is not the idea of this description of Ezra. For the Jewish culture of that day, a skilled scribe was an expert in the law of Moses. So he understood the word of God. He was like a highly trained lawyer in the word of God. Let me put it to you this way. If you ever played Bible trivia, you didn't want to play against Ezra. You would lose. You would be like... And coach, you can help me out here. You were C team, never going to see the field. <laughs> Ezra was like, he's varsity, okay? That's how it is, okay? So when it says scribe, you know he knew the word of God. He knew the word of God. Well, the king granted him what? He granted him his, his, his request, right? And so what happens, right? He granted him his request. Now, in verse... Eight, well, six and seven, right? So he goes up, and then it tells us that here, um, some of the children of Israel, verse seven, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethium, Nethium came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes, and Ezra came to Jerusalem on the fifth, which is the seventh year of the king. Nethanim. If you see that in verse 7, if you're taking note, these are just temple servants. Guess who they are? They are descendants of the Gibeonites. Where do we find the Gibeonites? Joshua chapter 9. The Gibeonites came up. They basically buffaloed Joshua. Oh, we've walked so far. We're not. We're your servants. He was supposed to wipe out everyone in the land. Gibeah was just around the corner. He made a He made a covenant with them and then realized, oh, so guess what they were? They were water carriers, wood carriers, and here's what they're called, temple servants. This is who they are. Good to know. Then in verse 9, it says, on the first day of the month, he began his journey from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the hand of God, of his God was upon him, upon him. The journey, guys, must have, must have occupied not less than four months, a long period, but it was necessary to move at a slow pace by short, easy stages and had to conduct a large caravan of people, including women and children. So this is him coming back. Now, when we come to verse 10, this is really the, this is the pinnacle of our teaching. If we come to verse 10, we're going to see three keys to building our foundation of our hearts. Notice what it says in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach the statutes and ordinances to Israel. Now, let me read this to you in the message. It says, Ezra had committed himself to studying the word of God, to living it, and to teaching Israel to live its truth and in its ways. Guys, Ezra had to prepare his heart in order to build the foundations of the people's heart. Let's take the last few minutes of our study and let's see three keys to building our foundation given to us in verse 10. You go, what is it? If you're taking note, you want the first key to your foundation in your heart? Here it is. Commit yourselves to studying the word of God. Commit yourselves to studying the word of God. Think about it, guys. Studying the word of God. You go, how does that work? Well, let me give you some practical things. It starts off early morning and really studying and learning the God's word. Okay, it's taking time. Now, here's what we tend to do. We live in a world that's so technical that a lot of times we go, I don't really have time to study. Let me turn on the TV or let me put on a podcast. Those are great things, but don't let it replace the Holy Spirit in you as he speaks to you. You want to study. Now, 
Let me say this. There are times when you simply read God's word. You might be doing the one-year Bible. Amen. Go through it, man. You're going to be amazed. When you get to December, you're like, I did it. I read the Bible all the way through. I'll just do it again. But then there comes a time when you study the word of God. How do you study the word of God? Guys, you don't miss a Sunday. You don't miss a Wednesday. Why? Because at Calvary Chapel, we are a teaching fellowship. We're teaching you the word of God. And you're studying. And you're taking notes. I told the discipleship, discipleship group last night, I said, listen, you need a Bible. Listen, I, got, I, I get the fact that we have Bibles on our phones and we have Bibles on our iPads. I get that. But there's something about the Word of God where you go, listen, I know exactly where it is. It's on the right-hand side. I, I highlighted I know that verse. I studied it. And then you mark it up. Mark it up. That's the whole thing. The, you want a good foundation in your heart, study the Word of God. Study the word of God. One of the things, and this is just a spoiler alert, one of the things that our fellowship is praying about in the future is being able to study the word in small groups. To be able to get in here and, and talk. Okay, what did Pastor Ben say? He talks so fast. I don't know. I didn't get the nose. Ah. But you'll be able to get into a small group and go, okay, let's dissect it a little bit better. Let's look at the Greek word. Let's look at the Hebrew. Let's see what he's saying. Let's see how that applies to our lives. So you want the foundation? Study the word of God. What does Ezra say? He says, let me give you the second pillar, leg, whatever you want to do, three, three stool leg, whatever you want to do. Let me give you the second pillar to the foundation in your heart. You go, what's that? He says, I want to what? I want to live it. Notice what he says. He says, I want to seek with all of my heart the law of the Lord and do it. And do it. You ready? Point number two, live out the word of God. Obey it. What does it tell us? It says we need to be, help me church, doers of the word, not hearers only. We come in and go, yeah, that was good. Here's the problem. You ready? The problem is no matter what I do, you're only remembering 10% of what I say. That's just statistics. 10%? Listen, you've been talking now for 45 minutes. You've only remembered 4.5 minutes of what I said? That's why you have to take notes. You can go back and go, oh, what did he say? It doesn't matter who's up here. You're only going to remember. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that the word of God is so good. You guys, your mind goes into thinking somewhere else. You go, yeah, I remember that. And now here's this scripture. And then I'm I'm six, seven, eight, ten minutes into it. And you're like, ah, I missed that. Here's the point. We got to do God's word. Don't just hear it. We got to do it. We got to do it. Church, let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you knew that you needed to do God's word and you didn't? You just, you didn't. I know God's word. I know I'm supposed to obey. I just, I don't know. I don't know. We have to take the stand where we go, okay, guys, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey your word, Lord. So much value in knowing you and obedience to you. I want that foundation of my heart in obedience. Wouldn't that be a cool thing on your, on your, on your tombstone? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? He loved God, and he obeyed God's word. Wouldn't that be cool? He obeyed. He loved God, and he obeyed God's word. You go, Pastor, what's the third thing? What's the third thing? Teach the word of God. Teach the word of God. Learn God's word, obey God's word, and then begin to teach God's word. It's so beautiful when you, when you grasp it, guys. Ezra is coming home to teach the central truths back to Israel to build the foundations of the Lord. Guys, we may also say that this is a threefold intention is essential to anyone who wants to impact others. Let's just say, okay, I've got the foundation in my heart, but how am I going to impact others? You ready? First, seek the law of the Lord. We got that. What does this mean? This means that a full impact with God's word is made by those who diligently seek after his word. 
and fellowship with those in his word. You go, what's number two? Do it. This means that full impact with God's word is made by those who are not only hearers of the word, but actually actual doers of the word. It has to be lived, not just known. And third, to teach. That means to full impact with God's word is made by those who actually teach it to others. What's been learned in the seeking and in the doing must be put into effect through the teaching of the word of God. That's the foundation, right? Three keys to the foundation of our heart. Know God's word, obey God's word, and teach God's word. Your pastor, why do I have to teach God's word? Do you realize that the more you teach, the more you know? You go, what do you mean? It takes about 10 to 15 hours of study time and prep time to speak to you for, 50, for 45 minutes, 55 minutes. You, you can ask the guys who stand behind this pulpit. They're going, I have so much. And then you've got to start whittling it down because we'll be over here. All right. Hour and a half later. Okay, verse 2. What? Are you serious? Everybody's getting up and leaving. Hey, where are you going? Lock those doors there, Stephen. I make sure nobody goes. And you just learn and you're able to teach. Well, Pastor, who am I going to teach? You want to change the world, teach those around you. You want to change the world, teach those around you. It impacts them so hard. Three foundations, guys. Three, found, three keys to a foundation of our heart found in the Old Testament. Thank you, Pastor Ezra. Let's pray and then Joshua lead us in a song. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Bless you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.